0: All right, if you have a Bible, open to the Gospel of Luke. If you've been around this fall, you know we've been looking at the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, but we are in, again, Advent week one, and so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, looking at a couple of different texts to help prepare us for this season. So today, Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 46 to 55. And Mary said... He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever.
1: Good morning. Let's pray. God, we pause during this season to remember, to remember the plan that you had to reconcile, to redeem us to yourself. And so, God, we pray that a message of hope, joy, grace, mercy, love would be clearly heard from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we can tell that we're heading into the advent season by everything happening around us the decor starts to change around the city really you start seeing all the lights and things like that menu items start changing at cafes uh, i don't know if any of you are fans of eggnog but you know it starts showing up the music around us it, it starts to change and we hear really deep theological provoking songs like Jingle Bell Rocks and, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snow. I mean, all those really deep, theologically provoking songs. And so the changes during this time of year signal to us that the Advent season is upon us, even though many don't recognize it as such. So during our observance of the Advent season, we are going to be taking a look at Luke's narrative in his gospel at the birth of Jesus from the songs that are recorded in this gospel. So today we'll be taking a look at Mary's song. Next week we'll be looking at Zachariah's song. The week after we'll be looking at the song that the angels sang and then the week after that we're going to be looking at something shared by John the Baptist before having our Christmas Eve and Christmas service. So we're going to be taking a look at some songs. As Pastor Steve had mentioned last week from the Psalms there are different types of songs. There's praise and lament and thanksgiving and in Mary's song we have here a song of praise which tells us a little bit about Mary because the songs that people sing they actually tell us quite a bit about them don't they you know I I grew up in 80s and 90s R&B you know boys to men it's like that's thank you (laughs) That's my era. So you already have a picture of like, oh, that guy, he can dance, like, you know, things like that. (laughs) So what we sing. It usually comes about by, you know, what has influenced us. And and so the types of songs we sing, what we sing, it's all a reflection of what we've let inside of our lives. And what we have in Mary's song is a reflection of what she has internalized, what she has been influenced by, and a testimony to those who have invested into her life to know God. Now, a little bit about Mary before we get into this song Prior to her singing this song, Mary had traveled 70 miles to visit her cousin Elizabeth in the Judean hill country. And so Elizabeth was someone who was elderly and who was barren. It was just a miracle that she was pregnant. And so Mary made haste. Uh, I don't really speak like that. Like, I don't tell my children, oh, hurry, my daughter, and make haste and tell your mother... I'm just using Luke's words here, verse 39, right? She went with haste to see Elizabeth, and when she met up with Elizabeth, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary was also with child, conceived in a supernatural, miraculous way by the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth and Mary both recognized the Old Testament prophecies after centuries of prophetic silence and the last prophet to prophesy was the prophet Malachi who spoke hundreds of years prior to Elizabeth and Mary meeting up. Now this time between the Old Testament and the New Testament is known as the intertestamental period and during this time. Prophecies would have been passed from generation to generation. Those of an older generation passing them down to a newer generation, younger generation. Prophecies like this. Ezekiel 37:14, And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. You see all the future tense, all the prophetic speech? Joel chapter 2, verse 28, "...and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions." Malachi 4, two, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. So generation after generation, they heard prophecies like these for 400 years during this intertestamental period, this time of prophetic silence. And in the pregnancies of Elizabeth and Mary were the fulfillment of these prophecies. And so here we are, many centuries removed from the prophecies of The New Testament, hundreds of years away, thousands of years away. Where's our faith today? It's been a long time. Do we hold to the Word of God even though generations have gone without the prophecy of the return of Jesus not yet fulfilled? And so we see from Mary that God keeps his promises. The Messiah would come through her, his mercy would shine through this baby she carried. Mary had a call to fulfill God's plan that was not given to any other person. And here we have her song that gives us insight into who she was, into her mind, her soul, her spirit, her heart. And so it's really similar to a song that we find in the Old Testament, the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2, when she was found to be pregnant with Samuel. And so she sang a song of praise to God, which would be really familiar to Jewish girls. And so here Mary had her song to sing to God, a song about who God is and what he's done. So let's take a look at this, verses 46 and 47. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary recognized that she was in need of a Savior and that God's mercy extended to her. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. We see how God works through the humble. He makes this news known first to shepherds. And a little bit of context about the shepherds. These were people who were considered ceremonially unclean. They were considered untrustworthy. Their testimony in court was not accepted because of this. So they were the lowest of the low. And so here we see that the birth of Jesus would not happen from a queen, but from a humble girl who was engaged to a blue-collar worker, a carpenter named Joseph. He was not born in a palace of significance, in a significant city, like in Jerusalem, but he's born in an inn with humble livestock in the town of Bethlehem. This calling to deliver the Messiah would be given to this teenager. Now, who would have thought that the Savior of the world would come into this world like this? But really, how else would the Savior of the world come? Jesus Christ came to earth in a very shameful way, in a very obscure way, in poverty, without much fanfare. Sure, there were some wise men and their entourage, but other than that, there's nothing else. Why come to earth in a way like this? Well, God's glory will be revealed only by God. This was all God and humankind was not going to get any glory from this divine plan it wasn't going to be because of a person's wealth or political power or popularity or anything that would give credit to people this was all God so when people claim that to be blessed is to be rich to be powerful is that really so because we look at Mary we look at the people closest to Jesus. It's the broken who are mended. It is the hungry who are filled. It is the fallen who will rise. It is the humble who will be exalted. And so where are we pointing people? Are we pointing them to Jesus Christ? Or are we pointing them to the shrinking American middle class existence? Because That's a lot of our ministries, Right? We just want to point people to get a better life, to get a better education, to get a better whatever. Are we pointing them to everlasting freedom or the trappings of a bourgeois life? And you look at who God uses in really significant ways. At the temple where Eli was a priest, no one thought that this little boy named Samuel would be the one to anoint the first kings of Israel. No one would have thought that. The greatest king of Israel was David, the youngest child of Jesse who defeated Goliath no one would have thought he could beat Goliath no one would have looked to him to win that battle let alone become king and so story after story in the Bible shows us this track record of God to raise the most unlikely of people to be people of justice and to be people of mercy and this is why Mary's song is so revolutionary did you know that much of liberation theology in South America, much of black theology can trace its roots back to this song? Where a revolution is how the hopeless can receive hope. And this is a song where people who are suffering injustice, they are lifted. Verse 49, For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. So an acknowledgment that God is Mighty. And that he has great things planned for his people. The hope. The promise. And so some interpret this as political revolution. And it has empowered many in this way. In looking at this song in light of the Advent season. This is revolutionary news in that the arrival of Jesus is the deliverance from darkness. The deliverance from darkness is contingent on the birth of Jesus. Verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Look at Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so when we talk about fear, this is not in terms of a feeling of anxiety and of fright but that of awe and wonder and reverence. A recognition of God's majesty, of his holiness. God's mercy is for those who revere him, and only those who are humble will be able to revere him. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. You know that our pride and our arrogance, they are very dangerous characteristics to have really dangerous it blinds us to the things of God and God scatters the proud who did God reveal himself to first it's the humble it wasn't the proud the proud rejected him verses 52 and 53 he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Do we need to look any further than our recorded history? Because what mighty empire, what mighty ruler has not yet been dethroned? And a lot of times you can trace this back to pride, arrogance as being their downfall. Now you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 26 verses 14 through 16. This is King Uzziah. And Uzziah prepared for all the army, shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction." Pride leads to destruction. Ultimately, it is God's kingdom. And the proud are scattered, the mighty are brought down, the rich are sent away empty. Why? Because God is merciful. He's merciful. He loves us. And in his mercy, he desires to deliver us from our vanity, from our selfishness, from our pride. So you see that Christmas is not simply the scene of nativity or lights and trees and candy canes and all that kind of stuff. The God of Mary, Jesus, he turns things upside down. He reverses things. That those who are prideful and have power over others won't always be able to oppress them. That those in places of power aren't rulers of justice, they're going to be brought down. That those who are hungry, they're going to be filled. And so God has done this throughout history. He has come in the flesh, he has intervened in this revolutionary fashion, and he has reversed what people think to be powerful and to be significant. It proves wrong what we believe is to be good in our society by pointing out that no matter how we continue to evolve and to develop, we still aren't good. We still aren't kind we still aren't generous we still aren't hospitable we simply aren't good so hopefully this song it does stir it does cause a revolution in our own hearts that it causes a revolution wherever we find ourselves whatever circles we find ourselves in who would disagree that we are a society and culture that is proud Who would disagree that we believe ourselves to be mighty as a society? So, what do you think is going to happen to us if we believe ourselves to be proud, if we believe ourselves to be mighty, and God scatters the proud and He brings down the mighty? You see how God works. Jesus came into this world through a poor, humble teenage girl who's engaged to a poor carpenter. Not a powerful family, not from a powerful empire, but from an oppressed people from an occupied land. That's how he came. So how do we really view Christianity? What do we really think Christianity is? It's not comfortable. It's revolutionary and i think we forget this we forget this idea that we are a revolutionary faith it's a call to revolutionary thinking it's a call to revolutionary action that this is the bible this is our heritage this is our legacy take a look at first samuel chapter 16 verses 4 through 7 Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. Isn't this a really fascinating thing that this is also in the setting of Bethlehem? You know, Bethlehem was part of the story starting way back in this time. The elders of the city came to meet with trembling and said, "'Do you come peaceably?' And he said peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came he looked on Eliab and thought surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now why would Samuel think that it's Eliab? Because he looked the part. His appearance, his height, his stature, his birth order. And so here's the revolutionary thinking and the call to action. Verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now you skip down to verse 10. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And you must have imagined that Jesse and all his older brothers are like, what? That one? We don't even care for that one. We don't even hire a shepherd for that one. We send him to take care of sheep. The youngest one. The least expected one. See, this is how God works. This is God. Over and over again, this is God. Think about your biblical heroes. This is God. Moses. Joseph, Gideon, Rahab, Ruth, David, Mary, Levi. The list goes on and on and on. All of them. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Revolutionary. The kingdom of God is ruled by God, and He doesn't need those who think that they're all that to contribute to it. He uses the humble. And we see that His ways are not our ways. You look at Luke chapter 6 regarding the kingdom of God. It's totally countercultural. Verse 20, chapter 6 of Luke. And He lifted up His eyes on His disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. That's who Jesus is. He makes this revolutionary way of life possible and there's hope for those who aren't proud and mighty and rich, for those who are considered less than. And it's not charity work as it is on earth. You know, on earth, it's charity work to serve the poor, to serve those who have less, to serve the orphans and things. like It's charity work. It is not like this with God. His kingdom is theirs. It's theirs. It's not for the 1% as our world is. Everything catered to them. It's not like that with God. The kingdom of God is for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Bible is revolutionary. And yet we've been just so comfortable kind of just sharing stories and just kind of living good moral lives and things like that. But think about this. Who in our world chooses the foolish other than to exploit them? What professional sports team chooses the weak? What Fortune 500 company chooses the low? They choose them only to exploit them. It's not so with God. God elevates them because that's who He is. That's who the kingdom is for. Verse 55 of Mary's song, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. See, only someone who knew the scriptures would know God's promises. And through Mary, God fulfilled his promise to Abraham and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. It goes back to Genesis 26. And so this plan of God's redemption it has been challenged since Genesis chapter 3. Verse 15 reads this. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Since that time, until the return of Jesus, the evil one will seek to thwart God's plan and his promise. He will do everything he can to prevent this messianic line coming into existence. Anything to not let Messiah come and to prove that those scriptures are false, that those promises are false. But Messiah came through this teenage girl hundreds of years later, thousands of years ago. The prophet Isaiah spoke about this in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. Can we take Mary's song for ourselves as a deeper understanding of God's grace, his mercy, and goodness to us? Can we, like Mary, genuinely say, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior? Here's a really, really interesting thing, because I don't know if a lot of people think about this. Mary's life got worse after acknowledging this, after acknowledging Jesus as her Savior. It's not like her life got easier, right? It was going to get a lot messier. See, she would have been in her second trimester when she returned home and things were going to get real with her parents, with Joseph, who she was engaged to, with the community that knew everybody's business because it's a small little village town? I mean, it's not going to get better. And so in the face of this adversity, of this crisis, do we still see God for who he is? Can we sing this song, Mary sung, knowing that we're heading into, in the future, whatever we're heading into, isn't so good for who knows how long? Because that's what essentially happened to Mary. Right? The angel came to announce to Mary what was going to happen to her. It would fulfill Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 7, verse 14, right? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign: behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. All good stuff. Scary, but exciting and good. And then Mary takes off and she visits Elizabeth, and she's there for about three months. And that was probably good, too, because you know she can kind of conceal her pregnancy. She's just hanging out with Elizabeth, and they're just kind of having their talks about like the excitement of being pregnant, the excitement of having a baby, and all this kind of stuff. And then probably a couple of weeks before she starts heading home, reality sets in. What am I going to tell my parents? What am I going to tell Joseph? What's everybody going to think about me? So she returned to her village where Joseph is given the news about her pregnancy and she explained to him that nothing dishonorable happened. This is what happened and that this was God's plan. And then an angel visited Joseph to affirm what Mary told him and they were going to have to live with this stigma the rest of their lives. That would follow them the rest of their lives. And I don't think the tune of her song changed even though she would have a pretty tough life going forward she still believed in god who is mighty and has done great things for her that he is holy mary is such a great example of faith of courage of strength see she believed in our revolutionary god she lived out his revolutionary ways she sung about this this was in her heart what songs are you singing what songs are you singing What's pressing on your heart, on the forefront of your mind? What song would you sing? Because we're influenced by those things, aren't we? My kids just went to see Moana last Wednesday. They're still singing those songs. That's what's influenced them, right? So what are we singing? What is really pressed upon our hearts and what's really influencing us and what's really kind of on the forefront of our mind. May we have the faith, the courage, and strength to be like Mary and live a revolutionary life, even though the things in front of us are crisis-filled and they're not good and they're just bad times. Now, what did Mary live for? Who did she live for? Jesus. Jesus. It was all about Jesus. This Advent season is all about Jesus. And although much of the world has adulterated this time of year for its own commercial gain, there's no denying the influence and the significance of Jesus worldwide. All of world history and everything that has happened will usher in the second coming of Jesus. People just don't realize this because this is what the Bible teaches. And here's the thing about God. He loves to save. He loves to save. He's a God of salvation. And the gospel teach that Jesus is the only way to that salvation, which is not a very good message to share amongst a pluralistic society like ours. They hate this. But here's the thing. We will all stand before Jesus one day whether we physically die before his return or he returns before we physically die, we will all stand before Jesus and we will all be accountable as to why we accepted or rejected his love for us, why we accepted or rejected his gift of life for us, why we were so prideful when it all leads to destruction. We will all answer for that. A problem that our society faces today is that we're very prideful and arrogant as to what we want to believe. And we kind of make those decisions by ourselves. We are empowered to make those decisions. And so we want to believe what we like and we reject what we don't like. But liking beliefs and disliking beliefs don't make the beliefs true or false. They just make them likable or unlikable. It doesn't mean that they're true or false. It's not based on like and disliked, Facts are not based on like or dislike. What are they based on? They are based on truth. I love this quote by Augustine. If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel that you believe, but yourself. Isn't that profound? Let me read that to you again. If you believe what you like in the gospel... And reject what you don't like. It is not the gospel you believe, but yourself. See, God is just. He's merciful, forgiving, loving. And every day you have to choose communion with Him. That's a proof of His character. Every day that we have is a gift of His grace, is a gift of His patience and kindness to extend so many days to us. It's been thousands of years. You see how gracious he is? You see how patient he is that he's wanting to draw more to him? But there is a definitive date coming. It's not going to be forever. And when his second coming arrives, that marks the final date. And that's it. So do you believe in the gospel or do you believe in yourself? There are many who believe in themselves. But do you trust yourself to save yourself and to save everyone that you love for all eternity? Because your days are finite. So what happens to your loved ones after you're gone? You have no control over that. You can't do that. Jesus can. He said, that he could, and everything he has said in the scriptures has come true. If it has not, it just hasn't happened yet. But you can't point to a biblical prophecy that has not come true. I challenge you to do that. I challenge you to show what prophecy has not come true. Back from Genesis up until now, show that. There are hundreds of prophecies fulfilled. Hundreds alone in the arrival of Jesus that he's coming back. And so my hope and my prayer for you is that you accept his love for you this morning. Let's pray. God, how you choose the lowliest of people to shine forth your glory. And we see this in Mary, an amazing woman that you chose to do incredible, miraculous, supernatural things in delivering you, God. And how you must have chosen someone that just had this faith and strength and courage, even though she knew that she was just going to walk into a bunch of junk after. And so, Lord, I pray that you would empower your church, that you empower your children to think these revolutionary thoughts, to act in these revolutionary ways, to not be persuaded by the world and the culture and the society around us, but to think about how you would desire us to live our lives. That you don't look on the outer appearance, Lord. You look on the heart. And so, God, during this time of Advent season where we pause, I pray that we would see the greater realities of you. Not on the basis of like and dislike, but simply of what is true. In Jesus' name, amen.